Turn with me, if you will, in the book of Proverbs to Proverbs chapter 25. We are in verses 16 through 27 today. And it is good to be back with you. It was good to to get away. We worshiped with our brothers and sisters down in New Lebanon last week, and they send their greetings to you. Um, But it is good to be back here with this church family um, and to know that God is fulfilling his promise that for those who give up family and loved ones, they will be given a hundredfold more in return, and he is fulfilling that promise in our lives here in this place. And so it is good to be back here. It is good to be back with our church family. Take up your Bibles and read with me Proverbs 25, beginning in verse 16. If you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it, and you will vomit. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house for too much of you, and he will hate you. Like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is the man who gives false testimony against his neighbor. Like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. As a north wind brings rain, so a sly tongue brings angry looks. Better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. Like a muddied spring or a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way to the wicked. It is not good to eat too much honey nor is it honorable to seek one's own honor. Let us pray. God of grace and mercy, you work to bring about salvation through your word and you train your church to renounce the ungodliness and worldly passions through that same word. As we study this passage from Proverbs, bring us to a place of self-control and greater trust. Lead us to wait for the blessed hope that is ours in Jesus of Nazareth. It is only through his redemption and reconciliation that we can have the hope of growing in sanctification. And so it is in his name that we do pray. Amen. So silly question. Have you ever had to deal with a difficult person in your life? Like I said, silly question. Some of you even were pretty quick to raise your hand there. Well, you know what? You're not the first And you definitely will not be the last person to ever have to deal with difficult people in your life. But the question is, how do we deal with difficult people in our lives? And Solomon knew that the advisors to the king would be confronted with difficult people. And he seeks to give them guidance as they deal with these difficult people through these wisdom Words. Now, you might know some of the difficult people that Solomon deals with here or talks about here. In verse 18, Solomon talks about the difficult person who destroys community life through forms of false witness. False witness can take the form of gossip or slander or insulting or the injustice of false accusation. And it is destructive like weapons of war. In verse 20, Solomon highlights the one who answers distress and despair with jollity and humor. Now, humor has its place and jollity has its place. But the one who comes to us in the deepest of losses and sings, 
Don't worry. Be happy. Many times does more damage than help. In verse 23, Solomon talks about the sly or manipulative person who has evil motives but hides them behind well-sounding words and actions. In verse 24, Solomon highlights the quarrelsome person. Well, he highlights the quarrelsome wife, but let's be honest. A quarrelsome nature is not the exclusive realm of our wives. And in verses 25 and 26, Solomon points to the moral coward, the righteous man who abandons his righteousness in the face of worldly pressures rather than bringing the joy and the relief of good news. Now, each of these difficult people in their own way brings violence and destruction to the community or to the family. And each of these difficult people could fall under the heading of fool that we have looked at throughout the book of Proverbs. And every one of us, you and I, will have to deal with one or all of these difficult people. And Solomon gives us three ways that we are called to deal with them. First, we are called to deal with them with trust. Proverbs 25, 19 says, Like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. Difficult people like the ones we just highlighted and all the other types of difficult people that we come into contact with throughout our lives will and do cause us trouble. But what do we rely on when that trouble comes? Reliance in this particular verse where it says that, you know, reliance on the unfaithful leads to trouble. Reliance is that sense of security that comes in putting your hope in something. Each of us in the midst of trouble puts our hope in something. And most of the time we get a sense of security from that. If I'm out a busy day working and and toiling, maybe it's in the yard or or maybe it's at work. And and I know that that when I get home, there's that bed just waiting for me to give me the rest and the peace that I need after a hard day's work. Well, there's a there's a sense of security and 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 peace and confidence in the fact that I have a bed at home to go to sleep in. But what happens if I come home and find out that maybe the bed frame's broken? Or maybe there's a spring in the bed that just, you know, no matter which way I roll over, it it pokes me in the back so that I can't get that rest. If we put our reliance in the wrong things, they will fail us, is what Solomon says here. Where do we put our hope, our reliance, our comfort in times of trouble? Well, Psalm 118.8 and 146.3 say oftentimes we put a false hope in humanity. This verse, Proverbs 25.19, reminds us that if we put our reliance in unfaithfulness or unfaithful people, that they will let us down. Psalm 49.6 and Proverbs 11.58 point to the reality that oftentimes we put our reliance in in our wealth and riches. A bad day in the stock market will show us how unworthy and unreliable wealth and riches are. Deuteronomy 28.52 and Jeremiah 5.17 tell us that oftentimes we rely on military might in times of trouble. And, And I could go on and on. The scriptures go on and on about all the different false reliances that we have. But but Scripture also takes those false reliances and they put them under one umbrella term. 
Habakkuk 2.28 reminds us that idols always fail. Excuse me, Proverbs, or Habakkuk 2.18-20. Of what value is an idol since a man has carved it? Or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. All of these things, other humans, wealth and riches, military might, are false idols that we put our hope in and seek security and confidence in them in times of trouble. And idols always fail. Where should our reliance be in the midst of trouble? What is the beginning, and as we learned in Sunday school today, the end point of the book of Proverbs? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The only place that we can put our trust and know that it will not fail is in the Lord. Ezekiel 33, 13 highlights the fact that when it comes to salvation, oftentimes we put our hope, our reliance, our trust in our own good works. And they will fail us. We may be good people, but if we rely on that goodness to reconcile us to God, we are in deep trouble. It is only through that goodness or righteousness that comes through Christ, that righteousness that is alien or separate from us, that we can have hope and reliance upon God. So when we come across the trouble that difficult people bring, the first thing we should do is trust in the Lord. Secondly, we need to exercise self-control. Our passage today opens and closes with references to eating too much honey. Our passage opens with the call, don't eat too much honey. Too much of it, or if you find honey, eat just enough. Too much of it and you will vomit. And it closes with the, with the closing verse opens with, it's not good to eat too much honey. How many of you growing up ever had your parents tell you, now, don't eat all that Halloween candy in one sitting because you're going to make yourself sick. Did you believe them? No, you probably didn't until sometime down the road after they had intervened time and time again. And for some reason, they trusted you enough to leave you alone with the candy. You didn't truly believe them until you sat there and ate and ate and ate and ate and ate until finally you were, oh, my goodness, I'm so sick. And then dad made me go to school anyway. Um, But Solomon says here in the context of dealing with difficult people, we need to exercise self-control. What's our first temptation whenever somebody brings trouble into our life because they're just being a problem? Maybe they've gossiped against us. Maybe they've Maybe they've told false things about us in the community. Well, our first temptation is to seek our own honor and glory by saying turnabout is fair play. Oh, you said false things about me in the community? Wait till you hear what I'm going to tell everybody about you. Oh, 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 you're angry with me because of something I said? Well, you know what? Let me show you what anger really is. Think about the last political discussion you were involved in. Did you desire to understand and be understood? Or did you desire to destroy the other person? Maybe not physically, but your intention was to be so sharp, so brilliant, that they were unable to respond to your glorious insight. We need to practice self-control over our own pursuit of glory in the midst of difficult people. 
In fact, Solomon goes so far as to say in verse 16 that if you pursue your glory over and over and over and over and over and over again, you will find yourself the most important and glorious person in a friend group of one. Your neighbor will hate you if you don't exercise self-control over your own glory. And brothers and sisters, unfortunately, this is the problem that we've had since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. We have pursued our own glory through a lack of self-control over God's glory and over humility and over love for our neighbor. It marks our culture from the time of the fall till now, and it will until the Lord returns. We are more concerned about our own glory rather than the good of the community. And God, through Solomon, calls us to exercise self-control over our feasting on the sweetness of being right. Or, as is more often the case, the sweetness of feasting or the the feasting on the sweetness of being self-righteous. Those pithy little one-line sayings work a lot better when I get them right. When we truly rely on God, the Holy Spirit does the long work of growing a desire for God's glory over our own in our hearts and in our lives. Psalm 1-3 says that the blessed person is the one who loves God's law and that person will bear the fruit of self-control, the fruit of the Spirit when it is time. When we are confronted with the trouble that a difficult person brings, we need to exercise trust in God and self-control over our own pursuit for glory. We also deal with the trouble brought about by difficult people through kindness. One way that we exercise self-control is through showing kindness to the difficult person. When we desire our own glory, when we desire to respond in anger or respond in kind. Solomon says that if the difficult person is hungry, what do you do? You feed them. If they're thirsty, what do you do? You give them something to drink. In our passage from Matthew earlier, Jesus goes so far as to say that we love and pray for the difficult person for the enemy when they bring trouble into our lives. Why would we exercise kindness to somebody who is difficult and brings trouble to us? Solomon gives us two reasons. First, because God will reward us. Now, it's important to realize and to embrace the fact that God does reward those whom he loves and those who obey him, which are the same people. He rewards us here and he rewards us in the new heavens and the new earth. And the reality is that the rewards that we get here, even though they may be meager, even though they may just be the sense of security and peace that God gives us in the midst of trouble, those rewards are the first fruits of the rewards that we will experience with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's not wrong to pursue obedience for the rewards that God promises Because he promises them, and as long as we are pursuing them for his glory and for his honor, God will continue to reward us when we show kindness, when what we desire is our own glory and our own honor. But that isn't the only reason we show kindness to the difficult person. The first half of verse 22 says that that showing kindness to the difficult, we will heap burning coals on their head. Now, You know, this is a statement that has caused questions and confusions, and 
I don't know that I can answer all those questions and confusions today, but we're going to come close, or at least as close as I can. Some commentators say that this is an act of kindness. You, you were dependent upon your fire in your home in the ancient Near East. You, you couldn't call the gas company to, to come relight the pilot lights and, and turn the gas back on when your, when your gas, when your fire went out. You had to keep that fire going, but occasionally we live in a world where things happen and occasionally your fire goes out. So you go to your neighbor and you say, look, um, my fire went out and I need some coals, maybe if you've got some to share to start it back up. And so your neighbor, hopefully being a good, kind neighbor, goes, absolutely. Here's a metal pan. And for some reason, they carried this metal pan on their head and they would heap coals into the metal pan. I'm assuming there was some type of insulative layer in between because metal and heat and your head don't work well. But you would carry that home on your head so that you could start your own fire. Other commentators say this points to the future when the wicked will be judged by God for ignoring the kindnesses of God's people. I think it's somewhere, I'm a both and kind of guy, I know that frustrates at least one of you in here. But I think it does fall somewhere in the middle. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, the commentators say, as metals are melted by heaping coals on them, so is the heart softened by kindness. And while Paul quotes these two verses in Romans 12 in his discussion on expressing love among the people of God, I think it's in 2 Timothy 2, 22 through 26, where he begins to get to the, to the reason why we do kindness to the difficult and to the evil. He says this, he says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish or stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful, Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope, and here it is, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. God changes people's lives through his gospel. And oftentimes before he can change a loved one's life through the gospel or a friend or even a stranger's life through the gospel, he has to do significant gospel change in us. Because when I'm confronted with a difficult, antagonistic, confrontational person, I want to respond with what Paul politely calls stupid arguments. But Paul says, no, be kind so that maybe God will use your kindness to melt their hard hearts and to give you opportunity to express the gospel. We learned in Sunday school, this, or not in Sunday school, excuse me, in Wednesday night Bible study this past week about hospitality and service. And, and, and the teacher in the video made a distinction between two words. He made a distinction between acceptance and an endorsement. You know, Jesus was known as a friend of sinners and he would have been over here on the acceptance end of the spectrum. 
He went to dinner with people, prostitutes and thieves and tax collectors. And he, and he fellowshiped with them. But he called them to repentance. So there was an acceptance of them according to the fact that they are images of God, but not the endorsement of their sinful lifestyles because he called them to repentance. He interacted graciously with the Pharisees. How difficult were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders of the day to Jesus? Sometimes he got firm, but he's always respectful and kind, not endorsing their behavior, but calling them to repentance. How many people that you do you know that are living lives in a sinful lifestyle that you won't even hang around them? They know you don't endorse them because you don't even spend time with them. You refuse to call them on the phone. You refuse to have a cup of coffee with them. You refuse a bottle of water on a hot day in the middle of a parade. We definitely don't endorse them, but oftentimes we don't accept them either. But gospel kindness looks like this, according to Paul from Romans 9.3. He says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. We, we look at Paul's persecution and we often think Rome and Romans whenever we think of Paul being persecuted. But if you read the book of Acts, if you read some of his letters, you'll find that at least half, if not more than half of his persecution came from his own Israelite brothers and sisters. And he says, I wish that I myself were a cursed for their sake. Paul, in the face of the beatings, the floggings, the abandonment, the anger that he faced from his own people says, I would trade my eternity in the presence of God for their eternity in hell. And I won't invite somebody over to dinner because they violate some biblical law. They don't deserve my kindness. They don't deserve my sympathy because they are a sinner. Brothers and sisters, not a single one of us deserves any kind of sympathy or kindness from God. And yet when we were difficult and enemies toward him, the son looked to the father and said, I will take hell so they can have heaven. And it's that kindness from Jesus that changes our hearts to desire to know and to show kindness to others. We deal with difficult people through trust, through self-control, and through kindness. I'm going to begin to wrap up by saying this. Stop arguing online. Many of you may not. Many of you may not even be in a position to argue online. But for those of you that you are, stop. Well, I do get edification from the people who, who post their love for God, their love for the scripture and how God is working in their lives to strengthen them and to bolster them. That can be an encouragement to our brothers and sisters. 
Man, how often do we not exercise trust, self-control, or kindness when we interact with people who differ from us online? They're easy. They make us feel like we have been soldiers for the kingdom, and most of these one-line gotcha posts are more an exercise in false witness and verbal murder than they are true gospel tools. Thaddeus Williams, in his book, um, Confronting Injustice Without Losing the Truth, says that while we are called to war against the devil and against our own sinful flesh, we are called to exercise gospel kindness to the people of the world around us. If the person you want to persuade is local, invite them over. Have a cup of coffee with them. Sit down with them and say, hey, you know, I'd like to understand you better. I'd like to know you a little bit better. I'd like to discuss this with you. And maybe we can at least understand each other a little bit better. If the person is a long distance friend, offer to call them on the phone or video chat with them. One of the things we have lost as we have lost the cohesiveness of community is the privilege of looking another human being in the eye and saying, let me truly understand you before I try to persuade you. But Ike, I might go out in public, I might catch the virus and I might get sick. Yeah, you might. But Ike, they might not listen to me or they might sue me or they might do violence against me in the church. They might say mean things about me on Facebook and in Lewisburg Peeps page. Yeah, they might. But God did not send us short, punchy statements that berate and belittle us into conversion. The son in an exercise of trust saying, not my will, but thy will be done. In an exercise of self-control, limiting his divine attributes and an exercise of kindness became sin who knew no sin, took on flesh and dwelt among us. That's how God brought the gospel to you and I. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you that the Son exercised trust, self-control, and kindness in pursuing our salvation, our redemption. Forgive us for the times when we have been argumentative. Forgive us for the times when we have been mean. And lead us to a place where we trust you enough to to grow in our self-control so that we can be kind to those who are difficult in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we send you out today to be kind to a world that is oftentimes unkind, to exercise self-control to a world that really oftentimes does not know what the word means, and to trust in a God that the world denies as they trust in themselves, take this blessing upon you. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we suffer under the weight of all those things listed that cannot separate us from God's love, we cry out, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.